Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We continue our summer sermon series. In this sermon, we look at revenge and wrath. Revenge movies are entertaining to watch, but in the end, do little to bring real justice. We should welcome the wrath of God, and you will find out why. You're listening to Leave Room for God's Wrath by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans 12, 9 through 21. And I ask if you could turn to that passage with me. For you visitors, um, you should know that we have spent, and there's a lot of you here, obviously, we've spent uh, the entire summer on one passage. We've spent the entire summer focusing and having sermons from this one passage. In fact, this is the ninth sermon on the same passage, which sounds terrible, but really hasn't been that bad. (laughs) And as part of that, we have challenged each other as a congregation. Um, We haven't made it obligatory, but we've challenged each other to try to memorize it, and many of us have. So instead of me just reading this passage to you, as is typical in church, uh, we're going to say it together, some of us by memory, others of us by reading. So let us say these words together. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Care with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Welcome to persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So today, as I said, this is the ninth sermon in our series on this passage, and the second to last. There will be ten sermons altogether. The last will be next week. And today we focus on verse 19 of this passage, which is what we just said, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So today we're going to talk about revenge. We're going to talk about vengeance. And as we do that, let us admit 
that there is something inside us that likes revenge. There is something inside us that is drawn to us and likes stories of revenge. And if you want proof of that, just go to the movies. There is a whole genre of movies that could be called revenge movies, revenge fantasies. If you go online and you Google revenge movies, you'll get hits that say, the 50 best revenge movies that Hollywood has ever made. And you can scroll through that list. It is a genre of movies. There's a whole bunch of movies that are about a person who has been hurt or whose family has been hurt or whose family has been menaced. And the whole movie is about them getting their revenge on the bad guys and putting things right. Some examples. The movie Taken, starring Liam Neeson, is essentially a revenge fantasy. Liam Neeson's daughter is abducted by Albanian terrorists. They drug her. They're going to traffic her. And Liam Neeson, who's an ex-CIA agent and Green Beret, goes off to Europe and he finds the terrorists and one by one they try to stop him and he uses his skills to knock him out until finally at the very end, it's just him and the leader of the bad guys and he takes him out and he takes his daughter home and they're safe. And that's the story arc. Taken is a revenge fantasy. The movie John Wick, classic revenge fantasy. John Wick, ex-hitman, trying to go right, gets married. His wife dies, and shortly after his wife dies, the Russian mob, out of pure cruelty, takes his car and kills the puppy that his wife had given him. John Wick uses his hitman skills, and he gets revenge. The Russian mob tries to stop him. He takes him out one by one until it's finally just him and the worst of the bad guys on a dock in New York City fighting hand-to-hand. -hand. And guess who wins? And the movie ends, goes to the pet store, gets himself another poppy, and the movie shows them walking home together. Classic revenge fantasy. One more. The movie Gladiator, which many of you have seen and many of you know, won the best picture in the year 2000. Gladiator is essentially a revenge fantasy. Maximus, the great Roman general, has won great victories for his emperor. A new emperor comes... His name is Commodus. He is corrupt. He's not a good emperor. He asks Maximus to pledge allegiance to him. Maximus is getting older, says, no, thank you. I'd rather just retire, and I'd like to go live with my family. Commodus, in his evil, kills Maximus's family, tortures them before he does it, and exiles Maximus. Maximus becomes a gladiator, and he by his will and by his determination and by his smarts, he makes his way back to the Colosseum and he manages to get into a situation where he fights Commodus hand to hand and he kills Commodus and he gets his revenge and the movie ends, if you've seen the movie, with this sort of mystical scene where he's reunited with his family in the Elysium Fields in peace. Hollywood has made dozens and dozens and dozens of these kinds of movies and we like them. We go to see them. These movies aren't just movies, they're successful movies. John Wick, Taken are both franchises. There have been multiple sequels of each. They've made hundreds of millions of dollars. Gladiator won Best Picture, made half a billion dollars. We like these movies, we are drawn to them. Why? We're drawn to them because we love justice and we want peace. 
And these movies promise us justice and peace. These movies promise that the bad guys can get their just desserts and not get away with their wickedness, justice, and they promise us that we can live happily ever after in peace and security with the people we love. They promise us that by the force of our will, if we are fierce and fearless, if we are skilled, if we are smart, if we are courageous, by the work of our hands and the smarts of our brain, we can bring justice. We can do final justice and we can live happily ever after. And if that's what a revenge fantasy shows, is that so bad? If that's the purpose of revenge, justice, evening the score, is that so wrong? And then why would Paul say do not seek revenge when the movies that we see make it look so satisfying? Well, to be clear, Paul is not against justice and peace and redemption. The whole Bible is about justice and peace and redemption and God bringing it. That's obvious. What Scripture is against is the idea that we human beings can bring final justice. That we can do justice in such a neat and tidy and final way. The Bible's consistent message is that we are broken people. Our hands are broken, our heads are broken, all our faculties are broken, all our faculties are tinged with sin. We cannot see right from wrong clearly enough and even if we could, we could not pull it apart with sufficient skill to ever do final justice. And when we human beings try to do the kind of final justice depicted in this movie, it doesn't work out as neat and tidily as it does in the movies. We usually end up making a mess. You get 10 people in this room and ask them to describe what is right and what is wrong in this world, and you will get 10 different answers. We are not smart enough to see and do final justice. And don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. Remember the parable of the wheat and weeds. If you don't know it, I'll tell it to you. It's such an important parable for our times. A farmer, who in the context of the parable that Jesus tells is God, the farmer plants a field full of good wheat, a beautiful field full of good wheat, and in the middle of the night, an enemy, the evil one, comes and sows weeds in that field. And at first, the workers in the field don't even notice. The weed and the wheat grow up together, and you can't tell until the wheat sprouts ahead, and the weeds don't. And so all of a sudden, the workers in the field said, Master, 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 there are all kinds of weeds in your field. What do we do? Would you like us to uproot them all? Would you like us to take care of all these weeds? And the master says, remember, no. Don't uproot them. Why not? Because when you uproot the weeds, you will uproot the wheat with it. You will do more damage than good to my field. Leave it to the end. Leave it to me at the harvest time, when I will separate the wheat and the weeds and take care of business, me and my angels. The workers in the field, quite understandably, want to do final justice. They see all these weeds, these things that are making a misery of their field, and they say, we should take care of these things. Look, can, master, can we take care of these things? And the master says, no, you're not good enough to separate them now. You're going to pull up some wheat with it. Don't do it. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you will do great harm to my field. 
Can you hear that that parable is Romans 12, 19 in story form? It's making the same point that Paul makes in our passage. If you look at the world around us, it seems like everybody's in weed-pulling mode right now. And that too is understandable because there are a lot of weeds out there. Most of us spend most of our days talking about the weeds. And we don't agree on much, but we all agree there's a lot of weeds. And so if someone comes along and says, I can tell you the weeds from the wheat. I know exactly where the weeds are. Follow me, I'll pull them all out. If someone comes along and a strong, confident voice tells us that they can get rid of the weeds, we are tempted to follow those people and listen to them. But history shows us that that zeal is misplaced. The Nazis in Germany came along and said, we know where the weeds are. It's the Jews and the communists. Come on, let's uproot them. And they tried, and the result was an atrocity. In 1917, the leaders of the communist revolution in Russia said, we know who the weeds are, it's the bourgeoisie, it's our rulers, it's the rich people. Let's uproot them. An atrocity, great misery. Do not seek revenge, my dear friends. We hate weeds. We want justice and peace. But we are not smart enough to discern weeds from wheat. So Jesus says, let them grow together until I come. Now, wait, you might be thinking. What, what are we saying here? Are you saying don't fight evil at all? I mean, we can't just let the weeds grow, right? We've got to resist these weeds if we just don't fight evil at all. I mean, evil people will run rampant and innocent people will suffer. And that's exactly right. Of course that's right. There is a difference in restraining evil and trying to do temporary, immediate justice and trying to do final justice. In our fight against evil, we're trying to walk the path of God, right? Path of life that Jesus shows us. In our fight against evil, there are ditches on both sides of the path. As we try to walk the path of life, there are ditches on both sides of the path, and you can fall into either ditch and get yourself into trouble. On the one hand, there's the ditch of permissiveness or licentiousness, to use an old biblical word, right? Where we give license to everything. Say, oh, you do you, I'll do me. Who am I to judge? Don't worry about it. Judge not. Just sort of lets evil go. And obviously, a lot of people get hurt when we are too permissive. That's one ditch. But the other ditch is the ditch of judgmentalism, the ditch of excessive zeal that tries to see and punish and excise every single sin. It ends up in Phariseeism and in worst case scenarios in genocide. And the Bible warns against both of these dangers. These are not just dangers I'm making up. These are biblical dangers. The Bible talks about both of these ditches. On the one hand, for the ditch of permissiveness, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Tell him his fault. Confront him. And Paul says, if, if someone's divisive, warn him once, warn him twice, and if he's still divisive, he's just still making a nuisance of himself, have nothing to do with him. And we all know, I mean, the Bible is full of passages that say resist evil. So that's the ditch of permissiveness warned against. But on the other side, Jesus does say, judge not, lest you be judged. And Paul says, to the Galatians, whose problem was legalism, watch out, or you'll devour each other. You're going to fight and 
spite each other to death. And in our passage, do not seek revenge. The road of life has ditches on both sides. And excessive zeal and excessive permissiveness are both dangers. And the devil is equally happy whatever ditch we fall into. In our passage, obviously, it's the ditch of excessive zeal and judgmentalism that is warned against. How do we keep from falling into this ditch? How do we keep from being vengeful people, especially when it's us that's been hurt? If you're the one who's been hurt, if it's your family that's menaced, if you are still suffering because of something that someone has done to you years ago that weighs on your heart, how do you keep from seeking vengeance? Where do you look? You look to the wrath of God. You want to know where the good news in this passage is? It's in the wrath of God. Now, that doesn't sound like good news, does it? The wrath of God, an angry God, how is that good news? It's not very fashionable to talk about or preach about the wrath of God these days. But there are two good reasons why the wrath of God is good news when you're a person who's suffering hurt. First, knowing that God has wrath against sin lets you know that even though you might not be smart enough to take care of the injustice, God is smart enough. You don't have to take care of it, but you know that God will do it. That's in the parable, right? At the end of time, who separates the wheat and the weeds? God and his angels. It's not the workers. Leave that to God. We may not be smart enough to do final justice, but God absolutely is smart enough to do final justice. And because when we see that he's full of wrath, not only is he smart enough, he's passionate about it. God cares God cares when innocent people are hurt. God cares when people sin. God cares when children are abused or injustice is done. And as our passage says, I will avenge. I will take care of it. The second reason why knowing God's wrath is a good thing and will make you less vengeful is that God's wrath is not your wrath. God's wrath is way better than your wrath. Sorry. Human wrath is scary, right? When people are angry, they're scary. And when people are angry, they're dangerous. Think about your own anger. How's your decision-making when you're angry? Are you a good decision-maker when you're angry? Do you make your best decisions when you're angry? Not me and not anyone else I know. When we are angry, we say things that we regret later. We burn bridges. We look back and say, why did I do that? Human anger is capricious. It is a bad thing to be in the hands of human anger. God's anger does not suffer from any of those deficits. God does not make bad decisions in the midst of his anger. God's anger always goes in the right direction. Hebrews says that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But I would put it to you that it's a worse thing to fall into the hands of angry humans. You could do worse than be in the hands of God's anger. And Paul should know. Because he knows exactly what it's like to fall into the hands of an angry God. Paul was a sinner. He was one of those zealous people who always had to uproot things. Remember? He was in the uprooting mode. He knew the weeds and he knew the wheat. Before he was a Christian, what did he do? He zealously persecuted the Christians. 
Jesus was a weed. He was glad that weed was uprooted. And everybody who followed him was a weed. And we're going to uproot all these people, said Paul. And then he fell into the hands of an angry God on the Damascus Road. And it was terrible for him. He was knocked off his hide horse. His pride was shaken. He was literally blinded. He had to be led by the hand. Everything he thought he knew was true about the world was turned upside down. All the relationships he relied on were turned upside down. The Holy Spirit stripped him down to the studs and did a total rebuild. The wrath of God was hard and terrible for him. But Paul also found that in the middle of all that wrath, there was a cross. Paul fell into the hands of an angry God, and in the middle of those hands, there were holes made by nails. And into those holes went all his guilt, and all his shame, and all his sin. And out of those hands came grace, and mercy, and redemption, and a second chance that he did not deserve. See, the wrath of God is way better than your wrath. The wrath of God will save the world. I said earlier that um, revenge movies are popular because they feed our desire for justice, final justice levied by humans. They show people getting deserved, getting what they deserve. And I want you to see at the end of this sermon that I mean, and I'm not telling you you should never see a, a revenge movie. You kids who are making profession of faith, you're going to see some of these movies before you die, and it's hard to avoid them. And I'm not telling you you should never see them, but I am telling all of you to be discerning and realize that those revenge movies are forming you in a completely different way than Romans 12. Completely different way. So be discerning. And know that there are better stories out there like the story of Graham Staines. Graham Staines was a missionary and a minister in Orissa, India. And he and his wife, Gladys, as they worked as missionaries, ran a leper colony. They ran it for 34 years, a ministry to the lepers of India, caring for the, the, the most broken people over there. A wonderful mission. Well, one day, Graham was out with his two sons driving when his car was surrounded by Hindu nationalists. All right, Hindu extremists. And they set fire to the car, and Graham Staines and his two sons, who were 10 and 6, were burnt alive in that car. They died. That was a terrible crime, an atrocity. And the victims, the main victims who were still around, were Gladys' wife and Esther, his daughter. They were the ones who were bereft of these, these family members. And everyone wondered, how would they react? Would they lash out? Would they seek revenge? Here's what they did. A few days after the murder, Gladys Staines, Graham's wife, got up in front of the Indian media, broadcast nationally, and said, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus. Christ who gave his life for our sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. She did not seek vengeance. 
she left room for the wrath of God. People thought that Gladys Staines would certainly stop and leave India after her husband was murdered. She did no such thing. She continued the mission. She continued working, and it actually grew after that. And now there is a hospital in Orissa, India, called the Graham Staines Memorial Hospital, and even more hurting people are being helped through that ministry. That's a better story than Braveheart. That's a way better story than John Wick. That's Jesus' story. That's your story. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your zeal, your determination, your passion, your wrath, which will assure that justice and mercy and goodness and redemption happens in this world, that evil will be uprooted, and all things will be made new. Father, give us patience as we live with so many weeds in our life. Show us when to resist and when to give room. Lord, we are your children. We belong to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.